This morning, uh, we continue. We're trying to track with CCF Manila. We've just concluded our series on the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings. So after the book of Genesis, we move to the book of Exodus. And uh, the slide from Manila is too big, so I had to cut it off a little. So the focus is the first two chapters is the bondage in Egypt. The next three, uh, chapters 3 to 6 would be the call of Moses. So the topics are the preparation, the location is in Egypt, and the time frame is about 430 years. Now, what does the word Exodus mean? Exodus simply means a going out. What does it mean if you're going out? Very simple. It means you're in. Get it? You cannot go out if you did not go in. Yes or no? So where were they? They were in Egypt. How did they get to be in Egypt? We all know from the story of Joseph, Joseph the dreamer. There was a famine, a famine in the land. God put Joseph in the right place just at the right time so that he would be the prince of Egypt, so that he could bring his entire family, the, the would with what would eventually be the Hebrew or Israelite nation, into Egypt, where they were sustained, where they were preserved, so that they could grow into a nation. Exodus, a going out. A going out or a departure or emigration, usually of a large number of people. By this time, experts are saying that they had grown to about 2 million people. Exodus. The departure of the Israelites from Egypt under the leadership of Moses. If you've been listening and singing with us our songs this morning, we have basically been singing about what? About the holiness of God. And that is my title for us this morning. My title is very simple because God is holy. We're still going to look at Exodus. But the main thing that I would like us to take away from this morning's worship service is everything that we're studying and learning is because God is holy. Let's pray. God Almighty, we thank you for allowing us the freedom of worship. Thank you, Lord, that we can sing praises unto you, that we can read, study, proclaim your word, and even celebrate the Lord's table later on. Thank you, God, for being the kind of God that you are. And even if you are a holy God, you are a God who wants to be our friend, wants to be involved in every aspect of our lives. And for this, Lord God, and for the salvation that you have prepared for us through your Son, Jesus Christ, we will be eternally grateful. We commit to you this time, Lord God, be pleased to speak in and through me and through your word, Speak to everyone who is here this morning. Let no one leave this worship unchanged by the power of your Holy Spirit. For we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What's the title of this morning's message? Because God is holy. Let me just... Uh, there we are. Now, many of us from a religious background... When we say that a person is holy, usually, oh, oh, right? 
He speaks very low, very monotonous. He's very pious. In English, he cannot kill a fly. In Filipino, hindi makapagpatay na langang. I have to translate, you know. But what really is holy? Holy means without sin. Moral purity. The word holy also means separate, set apart, distinct, distinguished. God is set apart. He has no comparison. So generous, classed by himself. He is transcendent. He has no equal. He has no comparison. In English, the English word, word means whole, perfect, complete. That is what holy means. Set apart. It's going to be a very bad illustration. Because we all know in the Philippines that a government vehicle usually has a sign painted on the doors. What does it say? For official use also. What does it say? For official use only. That vehicle is set apart for official government business. Therefore, when you see a car with that marking with the red plate in the casino or parked in the grocery or parked in somebody else's home, question, is that car being used for what it is set apart to do? You get the idea? So when we encounter the word holy, there is something distinct, something unique. And when we talk about the holiness of God, He He's incomparable. We cannot put God in our box. We cannot think the way God thinks. Because the Bible is very clear. My ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And many times we have a struggle or we encounter conflict with how we are supposed to live lives because we try to put God in our little box, which can't be because he is transcendent. He has no equal. He cannot be compared to anyone. Isaiah describes for us in Isaiah 46. Let's read this, verse 8. Remember this and be assured. Okay, two of you are reading with me. Let's, re let's all read this. Isaiah 46, verse 8. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past. For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is not one like me. So who is calling us transgressors? Not me. God is reminding us that we are transgressors. In contrast, who is he? Remember the former things long past. For I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is no one like me. We cannot compare God. We cannot liken God to anyone or anything. Because he is distinct. He is unique. 
just by himself. We studied in the book of Genesis when it comes to who God is. He is all sustaining. He is all powerful. He is all existing. We can never add anything or take away anything from God because he is God. Our worship, our singing does not add to the glory of who God already is. He is God, period. He is distinct. Now it continues. Declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient time, things that have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Telling the end from the beginning. Isn't that unique? Isn't that amazing? That God is able to tell the end from the beginning. To tell you what's going to happen today. When nothing has happened yet. And then saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Pastor Reggie challenged us last week. God will accomplish his pleasure with or without your cooperation, with or without my cooperation. So that's why the best place to be is where? In the center of God's will. Because whether you cooperate with God's will for you or not, what he has planned for you will still take place. He will accomplish his good pleasure. And this is many times evident in our prayer life. We tell God this is what we need, this is what we're in, this is the situation. And many times, oh by the way God, this is how you're supposed to answer that prayer. So who's telling whom what? We're telling God this is how he's supposed to answer our prayer. You're telling the infinite, powerful creator God how he should answer your prayer. So you're confining him to your box. Can't be. He will tell you the end from the beginning. And that's why we're studying the book of Exodus. Why are we in the book of Exodus? Because God told Abraham... At the start, what was going to happen to the Israelites? He said in Genesis chapter 15, Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. 13, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. They went into Egypt. Joseph brought his entire family over to Egypt. They were strangers in that land. That land was, had a famine, a great famine. Yet God, because of God's presence in Joseph, continued to prosper them. And the Egyptians lost everything. Their money, their land, their livestock. And they enslaved themselves to Pharaoh. But on the other hand, because of God's hand upon Joseph and his family, they were continually being blessed. They had more than what they needed. But God told them, you will enter into a land where you will be strangers, Egypt. And then what will happen? They will be enslaved for 400 years. God already told Abram, 
We all know him as Abraham. He had a ham sandwich in between, so they changed his name from Abram to Abraham. What happened? God already told Abraham, you are going to be a father of a great nation. All nations will be blessed through you. But your people are going to be enslaved for 400 years. But then, but I will also judge the nation whom they will serve. And after they will come out with many possessions. Come out. What is that? What is that come out? An exodus. A going out. They will come out. They will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So what did God promise Abraham in the book of Genesis? Your people will grow. They will be enslaved for 400 years, but they will come out. There will be an exodus out of Egypt after the fourth generation. And they will return here. God is telling the end from the beginning. So why is the book of Exodus there? Because God is holy. And he has said this. It's what's going to happen. Joseph, the dreamer, even said, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. Joseph was so sure that the exodus was going to happen that at his deathbed he told his relatives, when I die, bring my bones back to the place that God hath promised us and there bury my bones. I shared with you that when we were in Egypt, we were able to go into the museum. And while everybody else was going to the, the tombs of the Pharaoh and their sarcophagus and all that, my wife and I wandered to the back and then there was this tomb among other jars and stuff. And it, it, it just had a small inscription. He believed in one God. I said, could this be where they buried Joseph? I don't know. Egyptians are polytheistic. Joseph was monotheistic. He had one God. And he told his relatives, those who he had left behind, Bring my bones back. Because God said, he said this from the beginning. He told us the end from the beginning. And God promised that it would take place. That's why Joseph is being spoken of in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 22. By faith, when he was dying, made mention of the what? The exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. He knew it was going to happen. Why? Because God's purposes will prevail. He is able to tell the end from the beginning. Why? Because God is holy. Because he is distinct. Because he is not like us. 
Because we cannot compare him to anyone or anything. Because he alone is God. So Exodus chapter 1, we, we read, Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people, the sons of Israel, are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply. And in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. Note, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Sidebar. Discipleship. His father did not talk about Joseph to his son. So when he died, this new king, who is this Joseph? I don't know Joseph. Who are you talking about? A new king rose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Could not the father have been said, you know, um, we were in hard times. There was a famine. Nothing would grow for seven years. But you know, someone named Joseph, he came to us. He wasn't even Egyptian. He was slow, sold as a slave. You know, I got him. I didn't know. And then he interpreted the dream and this, this and that happened. And that's why Egypt is sustained because of this guy, Joseph. But no. No legacy was passed on. No story was passed on. So this guy, this new pharaoh, didn't know Joseph. And all he could see is, wow, wait a minute. These people, they're growing. They're growing so fast. They're too much. If they cause like a revolution or there's a war, they might side with our enemies. And then what? Let's make it hard for them. Let's deal wisely with them. So that they don't get the idea of overrunning us. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. And they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pitam and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied. And the more they spread out. So that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. Now imagine, you're trying to deal with these people. And instead of their numbers going down, instead of they being disheartened with the persecution and the hardship that you're afflicting on them, they grow. In the world today, the fastest growing churches are the churches that are being persecuted. There are millions, millions of born-again, Bible-believing, God-fearing, and God-loving Christians in China. But where are they? Many of them are in the underground church. We don't see him here, but we have somebody here from CCF Jeddah. Now it's, it's, it's a closed country, so where do they go? They go underground. But, that, but does that stop them? No. Pharaoh, this new Pharaoh who didn't know Joseph, persecuted God's people. And instead of being demoralized, they grew. 
Now Moses was pasturing the flock, Exodus 3. This is like a recap. But remember, what's the message today? Because God is holy. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. Why? Because God is holy. Now from my chemistry in high school many, many decades ago, decades, not years, Okay. For you to have combustion, you need oxygen, you need heat, and you need what? Fuel. In this scenario, you have oxygen, of course, they're in the bush. You have heat, because there's a fire. And you have fuel. What's the fuel? The wood, the bush. Now, usually, even if you have a match, you strike the match, there's friction. It creates heat. And then oxygen in the air. And then you have the fuel, right? The wood in the matchstick. Eventually, what will happen? It will burn itself out. Why? When you lose one of the three components for combustion, combustion will not take place. What was so amazing about this site? The bush was burning, but it was not consumed. Who could do this? Why? Because God is holy. God is not like us. So Moses, he said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight. Why the bush is not burned up? I can see the fire. I can feel the heat. But the bush is not being consumed. I must go and inquire. You know, curiosity, right? Like the, the you, you have a small toddler maybe and you're cooking. Ah, 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 don't go there. Don't touch the fire. It will burn you. Fast forward. Ah! Moses, he said, I got I, I to gotta see what's going on with this. The bush is not being consumed by the fire, by the flame. When the Lord saw he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. Another amazing sight. God called to him from the midst of the bush. From the bush. He says, Moses, Moses said, here I am. I don't know about you. If somebody talks to me from the bush, I hear a voice. I'm out of there, right? I said, here I am. Here I am. Then he said, do not come near me. Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Why does that piece of real estate, why is that piece of real estate considered to be holy ground? Why? 
because of the presence of God. The ground of itself is nothing. It's just a piece of real estate. It's just land. But because the presence of God was there, what did God say? Remove your sandals. Remove your sandals for the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. In the New Testament, when Jesus had an encounter with Peter, Peter said, Lord, if that's the case, wash my whole body. Jesus Christ told Peter, you're already clean. Because of the word that I have spoken to you, you're already clean. Now, but because your feet still walk on this earth, all you need to do is wash your feet. When you are in Christ, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You are already clean. You are already redeemed. You have been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. The only thing that needs to be cleansed, so to speak, from time to time would be your shoes, would be your feet, which walk on this earth. Remove your sandals for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Only God is holy. And when Moses realized who he was having an encounter with, what did he do? He hid his face. Why would you hide your face? Why? You remember when Moses was still the prince in Egypt where he grew up? What did he do? When he killed that person, the other people also said, what, now are you going to kill us? So after 40 years being in, in the palace in Egypt, God had to unlearn everything that he learned in Egypt. So God sent him to far away Midian, where he got married to his wife, Zephorah. Are you still with me? And in the midst of the bush, because from being the prince of Egypt also, he grew up in the palace. He was now brought to the wilderness. And he had to unlearn everything. And now, just at the right time, God is calling him. And what is God's purpose? I am, your, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then Moses hid his face. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. 
and have given heed to their cry because of their for I am aware of their sufferings. God is aware of every single detail that you are going through right now. And because he is aware, he wants to get involved. He wants to be part of the solution of whatever it is that you're going through right now. He says, I have seen the affliction of my people. And what is he going to do? What is he going to do? He said, so I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite, Hittite, Amorite, Perizzite, Hivite, Jebusite, Termite. God knows what his people are going through and God took it upon himself. I am going to come down and deliver them. Who is going to do it? Who? God. God. This holy God who promised Abraham this is what's going to happen. But after 400 years, they're going to go out. They're going to go out with a lot of possessions after the fourth generation. And then the previous verse, he said, I am aware of their sufferings. And God is going to take action. He says, I have come down to deliver them. God is the one going to deliver his people out of bondage in Egypt. To bring them to a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. God is going to do it. However, there are times that God would want to use people to accomplish his will. That's where Moses is involved. He said, Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now and I will send you. Who is going to accomplish the purpose? God. Who does God want to use? Moses. Will God accomplish his purpose? Yes. In the process of God accomplishing his purpose, will he or could he need you? Yes. He said, come now. I will send you. Many of us have this good, great volunteering spirit, right? Omar, we need a volunteer. Okay. Then Omar will say, Pastor, I volunteer. I volunteer Mike. We, we like to volunteer. But many times we like to volunteer somebody else. We don't like to volunteer ourselves. We like to volunteer somebody else. Correct, Omar? Still even in the Philippines up to today, right? I volunteer. I volunteer him. I volunteer her. Who, who does God want to use? Moses. 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 Here I am. And God gives him the big picture. I have seen the affliction of my people and their taskmasters. Be behold, I have come down to deliver them. God says, I'm going to deliver them. In verse 9, I will send you. And God equips Moses. There is the discourse. We're not going to get into it. It was discussed last week. Moses kept on giving God all kinds of excuses. 
What if they don't listen to me? What if they ask who sent me? I'm not a good speaker. What will I do? Why will they not believe me? And the anger of the Lord burned against Moses. You want to get God angry? You want this holy God to get angry at you? This God who is able to set the bush on fire, yet the bush is not consumed? You want to get him on your side? Or you want to be opposite side of God? The anger of the Lord burned against Moses. But God is good. God is gracious. He said, okay. Your brother Aaron, he will speak for you. I will speak to you. You tell Aaron, and Aaron will speak to the people. Okay? Very simple. Correct? Aaron was Moses' spokesman. God to Moses, Moses to Aaron, Aaron to the people. Why? Because God will accomplish his purpose. So all you and I need to do is to be in the center of God's will and purposes for our lives. And they were practically assured 99.9999%. Everything will fall into place. But when you and I struggle against God's will for us in our lives, man, you're in it for the long haul. Because God loves us so much that he will not stop until we learn the lesson. And then all along, this is all God wanted me to do in the first place. I should have relieved myself of all of this pain and suffering if I just got it the first time. What if they don't believe me? Who will I say sent me? Uh, all this. Okay, get your rod. Put it down. Become a snake. Get it. Put it back. Yeah, but. But. Okay. Get Aaron. Why? I will free my people. Finally, Moses begins to obey. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for those who wanted to kill you are dead. Remember? He murdered somebody in Egypt. Right? So of course, there is at the back of his mind, what if I go back and they try to kill me? Human. So God reassures him. The people who wanted to kill you in Egypt, they're all dead themselves. So you can go back. You can go back. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. Notice, sons. By this time, he had two children. All right? Now, at the lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. If I am able to explain this to you 100% in all clarity and wisdom and understanding, you have just encountered God. So you are being forewarned. Why would God want to kill someone whom he has tasked to help him complete his purpose? Why? Because God is holy. Huh? Zephora is a Midianite. God's instructions 
was for his people to marry within their clan. But because of the circumstances that happened, he went to Midian. He encountered Jethro. He encountered Zephora. They got married. They got two kids. What can I do? It's finished. But Sephora took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So what's the issue? What is the issue? That God would be so angry with Moses that he would search him out, and as the Bible tells us, to kill him. Why? Because there was this obedience and what is that disobedience he did not circumcise his son you are about to go on a mission for God and there is this one disobedience in your life so what did Sephora do she took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Now, Bible scholars are telling us that Zephora did not really put the foreskin of their son's private parts at Moses' feet. But because they did not want to declare or use the word, you know, private part, the word feet refers to the genitals of Moses. I told you, if I can explain to you 100%, we'll all complete wisdom and understanding. You have just listened to God. Did Sephora obey? So the question is still there. Why did they not do it in the first place? The command of God to Abraham this will be a sign of my covenant to you that every male among you must be circumcised on the what? On the eighth day. So I just read for you that Moses and his sons. Why is it now only one of her sons? Could it be that the other one was circumcised and this other one was not? Could it be that Zephora was unwilling because, you know, mothers, you have to flint knife. You don't have, like, you know, anesthesia and all that stuff over there. So why am I going to cut off the foreskin of my child? It's I don't know. But husband and wife relationship. Oh. Is Moses able to minister to the wife? To make the wife understand, hey, this is God's command. There's something wrong here, too. Zephora said, here it is. And he put it there in the private parts of, uh, Joseph, of uh, Moses. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. Oh, After Zephora circumcised their son, it appeased God. God let them alone. At that time she said, bridegroom of bl blood, what? Referring to circumcision. Did you obey? Me, me, brothers, sisters, I submit to you. When God tells us to do something, do it right away. 
Don't wait for the anger of God to burn against you for your disobedience. Why? Because God is holy. He will not let disobedience go unpunished. There is a consequence. You are free to do what you want to do, but you are not free from the consequences of your actions. God told Abraham, and they passed this on. But Moses, for some reason, unclear to us, one of his sons were not, was not circumcised. And Sephora finally did it. And the Lord let him alone. But what did Moses do to his wife? Go back to your dad. Hmm? Yeah, go back to your dad. They didn't divorce. But Moses sent his wife, Zephora, and their two children back to Jethro, their father-in-law. His father-in-law. Where do we know this? Exodus 18. After Moses had sent away his wife, Zephora, his, fa his father-in-law, Jethro, received her and her two sons. One son was named Jershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in, the fo in a foreign land. And the other one was named Eliezer, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. So did Moses send his wife, Zephora, and the two kids back to Midian to the father-in-law? Yes. What did they miss out on? They were not able to witness the power of God when God, through his signs and wonders, his miracles, all of these plagues, they didn't see it. She was not able to witness the going out of these people with a lot of possessions, just as God has promised in Genesis 15. You miss out. When you and I choose to disobey God, we miss out on seeing how God will work things out. Did she obey? Yes. But you see, action has to be complemented with attitude. If you obey, but your attitude is discontent and grumbling. Are you really obeying? Sit down. I said, sit down. But your pairing style is arithmetic. One. Two. Then you got the belt. But inside, I'm really standing up. Action must be accompanied by attitude. Why do I say this? Psalm 119. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I shall observe it to the end. Give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. It's an issue of the heart. Obedience is really an issue of the heart. Moses really didn't want to go. But then, the anger of the Lord. Yes, sir. 35. Make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Is obeying God the delight of your heart? Is pleasing God the delight of your heart, of your soul? I don't want to obey God 
because I'm afraid of Him. I want to obey God because I want to please Him. I want to show God how much I appreciate His salvation, how much I appreciate Him. That's why I want to obey Him. I don't want God to be angry with me. I don't want God to be angry at my actions. I want to obey God to please Him because I love Him. Exodus 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may celebrate a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I don't know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Another model of discipleship. The Pharaoh previous to him didn't know Joseph. Didn't know the God of Joseph. Ergo, this next Pharaoh, what? I don't know the Lord. Why will I let my slaves go? Besides, I don't want to let Israel go. I'm Pharaoh. No, I'm not. See, my friends, you and I will only obey someone with whom we have relationship. If you do not know, you will not want to obey. Yes? We just did our parenting seminar last September 10. And one of the slides, if you were still awake, was what? Rules without relationship equals rebellion. I obey God because I know God. I know that God loves me that he would send his son Jesus Christ to die for all of my sins. My obedience to God is a love response to what he has done for me. I don't obey God so he will love me. I don't want to I I, I don't obey God so that he will save me. God already gave me the provision of salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Because God's love because God is holy is not preconditioned on my obedience. That is what is called grace. Romans 5 8 tells us that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I don't obey God so that I can go to heaven. I obey God because I am already on my way to heaven. From upstairs, amen indeed. Not upstairs to God, okay? That's just Brother Alex up there. <laughs> or I think it's Brother Peter, I don't know. See, he said, who's the Lord? Why should I obey Israel to let Israel go? Why will you obey God if you don't know God, correct? Common sense. Besides, Pharaoh says, no, I will not, Israel, I will not let Israel go. You see, God, because God is holy, he will do anything and everything necessary to accomplish His purpose, His will. Same for the Israelites, same, same for you and I. Moses was called out of a bush. Forty years in the palace. Forty years being untrained from the palace. 
and then 40 years in the wilderness. Why? Because God promised to Abraham, your people will be enslaved for 400 years and then they will go to a land, a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Did God use Moses? Yes. After much back and forth, Moses began to obey. When his wife circumcised their son, God let him live. And we know the story. So if you want the details, come back every Sunday while we continue with Exodus. Right? But what happened to Moses? What happened to Moses? Numbers chapter 20. They're now in their journey in the wilderness towards the promised land. God tells Moses, take the rod and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water from them out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod before the Lord just as he had commanded him. You're in the desert. Do you need water? Yes or no? These people need water. These people, they are like cactus. They don't need water, okay? You're in the desert. You need water. You need food. You need shelter. Yes or no? Yes. So these people in that journey, they keep on complaining. Ah, we don't have food. God gives them food. Ah, we don't have this. Okay, I'm going to cover you by, by a cloud by day and a pillar by night. We're going to discuss all of this, okay? I'm like Donald Trump, you know. We're going to do, he just give you the, the broad strokes. Well, I'll just discuss all the details where I become president, but that's an aside. Okay. He said, you need water? Okay, I'm going to give you water. Remember, because God is holy, he is not confined by anything. And what is God telling Moses? Water is going to come out from a rock. Uh, uh, do you have geodetic engineers here? Can you draw water from a rock? Yes or no? Are you God? Only God can pull water from a rock. And he told Moses, very simple. That's why I highlighted it for you. Speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. Speak to the rock. Moses begins to obey. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock. And he said to them, so far so good. Listen now, you rebels. Wait a minute. Shall we bring forth water for you from out of this rock? Can you, can you picture in your mind what's going on? Oh, I just have an encounter with God. Oh, yes, Lord. You're going to pull water from... Yes. Yes, Lord. Hey, you guys! What's the matter with you? Hello? You rebels! What do you want for us to do? Get water from this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand. That's why the mic is dead. Then Moses lifted up... Props, to props. Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And then what happened? And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation and their beasts drank. Did water come forth from the rock? 
Yes. Were the congregation able to drink water? Them and their beasts? Yes. But how did Moses pull water from the rock? Very simple. God said, speak to the rock in front of the assembly. What did Moses do? Not only once, twice. Water did come out because God said it was going to come out. Did Moses obey? In a sense, he obeyed. But the way that he obeyed is different from the instructions of God. Why? Because God is holy. When God tells you to do something many times, he is very detailed. You cannot go wrong. All you need to do is to follow. And as a consequence, you can do whatever you want to do, but you are not going to escape the consequences of your actions. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me, to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. God was committed to bring his people out of slavery, out of bondage, into freedom. Moses was supposed to lead them on that journey and to bring them over to the promised land. But what did God say? Because you, other translations read this way. Because you did not regard me as holy in front of my people, you're not going to cross them over. He missed out. He missed out. Those were the waters of Meribah because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord. And what did he do? He proved himself holy among them. How? Moses, you're not going to cross over. Now don't think for a second that Moses lost his place. He was disqualified from his ministry. But when God called Moses, even if he was not the one who brought them over to the promised land, he was still with God in heaven. How do we know this? In the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transfigured and glorified, you had Moses, you had Elijah. So Moses was there. He just missed out on being able to be the one to bring them over. Who brought them over? Joshua. Zephora was not able to witness how God would bring his people out of Egypt. Why? Because she obeyed, but her attitude was wrong. Why is it necessary? Because God is holy. And he must, treated, he must be treated and regarded as holy, as set apart. 
Because God is holy and we are not, God took it upon himself to make sure that you and I can have a way to go to heaven. Isaiah tells us, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us who are like sheep have gone astray. Each of us had turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Because God is holy, he will not let sin go unpunished. Because we are all sinners, there is no way for our salvation. So what did God do? God sent forth his only begotten son, his one and only son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Isaiah tells us, the Lord has caused the iniquity, the sin of us all, to fall on Jesus. Why? Because God is holy. If he is not holy, okay, I changed my mind. You've seen? I changed my mind. Today, the payment for sin is this. Tomorrow, the payment of sin is something else. Will you trust that kind of God? Will you trust that kind of husband? Will you trust that kind of boyfriend? Will you trust that kind of parent? Change, change, fellowship. Ah, CCF, sorry. You keep on changing. You don't want to change. You want to trust someone who is steadfast. Correct? God said, the wages of sin is death. Why? Because I am a holy God. How am I going to pay for my sin, God? You cannot. Because I am holy, I, the holy God, will provide a way for you. That way is through the cross of Jesus Christ. All our iniquity fell on him. And Jesus Christ is giving us a promise today. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave to sin. That's the truth. So if you continue to sin and you cannot get out of it, what? You're enslaved to sin. The Pharisees thought, we are not, we are free, we are children of Abraham. Jesus told them, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. Jesus Christ went on to say, the slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son does remain in the house. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. The story of Exodus is a type of what Jesus Christ, your situation and my situation. We are all in bondage. Bible tells us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I am in bondage to sin. And because I cannot do anything to free myself from this bondage, God had to intervene. God sent his son Jesus that through Jesus Christ living in me, I have a choice. I don't need to sin. Where in, where in the past I'm in bondage, I have no choice. It is my natural nature to sin. Now that I have a new nature in Christ, 
I have a choice. I don't need to sin. I have the Holy Spirit to give me the power to stand up for what is right. I don't need to sin. But I need Jesus. Because he whom the Son sets free is what? Is free indeed. There is no other expression that comes to mind that declares the holiness of God except the Lord's Supper. The Lord's table is an ordinance, one of two ordinances that was left to us to follow until the Lord's return. One is baptism, the other one is the Lord's table. In the Lord's table, we see the elements of the wine which represents the blood of Jesus Christ. We see the bread which represents the body of Jesus Christ. Why did Jesus Christ give up his body and shed his blood? Because God is holy. Because all our iniquity fell on him. And he desires for you and I to be free from the bondage of sin. And it only takes the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. And there is a warning and a reminder. For I received from the Lord, Paul writes, from I, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The Bible teaches us that this is just juice and this is just bread. It doesn't change into anything. And this is just a commemoration of what Jesus Christ did. That he took all of our sins upon his body on the tree. And that he shed his blood for the remission, the forgiveness of all our sins. And he told us, when we do this, we proclaim. We declare that Jesus is our Savior and that Jesus is the Lord of our lives. So if you have not yet accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are unwilling to turn your back on sin, may I encourage you to inhibit yourself from partaking of the Lord's table. Why? Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. On the other hand, if you already have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you are committed to follow the Lord no matter what, as empowered by the Holy Spirit, join us, partake with us as we celebrate the Lord's table. So those of you who are going to partake, please come, take a cup of juice, take a piece of bread, go back to your seats, and then let's wait for everyone to have their elements, and then we will partake together. Please come. I see the Lord seated on the throne. Exalted in the train of his robe, 
fills the temple with glory, and the whole earth is filled, and the whole earth is filled, and the whole earth is filled. of his people and he was not given the opportunity to lead God's people into the promised land if you are here this morning and you have the Lord Jesus Christ you are assured of being able to enter the promised land called heaven and heaven is a beautiful place but the most important person there is the Lord Jesus Christ. Examine ourselves. Let the Holy Spirit examine us. And if you are willing to make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, willing to obey everything from your heart, then take that piece of bread and before we partake, let's pray. God Almighty, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to pay for all of our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that all of our sins you took upon your body. Your body that was bruised, was tortured, 
was put to everything that you went through for our sakes. You had no sin and it was all because of us, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus, for giving up your body for, for us. And we remember your body, Lord God, this morning. Let's partake of the bread. Taking the cup of the juice, the Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And only the unblemished blood of Jesus Christ is able to make our sins, which are scarlet, become white as snow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood for us. It is only through your blood that we have forgiveness from all of our sins. Thank you, Lord God, that through your blood we can enter the Holy of Holies, the presence of God Almighty, because you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by you. May your blood, Lord, be a deterrent for us whenever we are tempted to fall into sin, that we would flee from our sin and run to you, Lord God, because you shed your blood your precious blood for our sins. We honor you this morning. We remember and we rejoice. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's partake together. Just sing that chorus again, holy, 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 just where you're seated. Holy, holy, just awed by it and that in your holiness you would send Jesus Christ to redeem our sinful lives to release us from the bondage of sin and to prepare a way for us assured of our place in heaven thank you Lord God for your word that is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path and Father, we just want to thank you that you love us the same today, tomorrow, and forevermore. And all of God's people said, Amen and Amen. Praise be to God.